You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Substance abuse, gambling addiction, trichotillomania, and binge eating have all been described as impulse control disorders. How can all of these disorders possibly be related? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Chair of the APA Committee on Addiction Treatment, Dr. Petros Livones. Dr. Livones, among his many professional duties, is the Director of the Addiction Institute of New York. Welcome. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me in your program uh, today. Uh, it's uh, really exciting to talk about uh, impulse control disorders, uh, gambling and the like. So thanks a lot. So, Dr. Livones, the diagnostic category of impulse control disorders covers a lot of ground. What is the history behind this classification? All of us recognize that there are so many things that, that uh, uh, all these disorders have in common, uh, from uh, uh, binge eating to uh, self-mutilation to the substance use disorders to uh, compulsive shopping. It's kind of an understanding that we all have that there must be something uh, that these things have in common. And as a matter of fact, we started looking at this in, uh, the, uh, in the 80s, uh, more than 20 years ago. And uh, there was an excitement in the research community about the impulse control disorders, and the addiction world was uh, very uh, happy to, ta- to tackle this, uh, this uh, heterogeneous group of disorders. Until something uh, kind of interesting happened. I don't know if you, if you recall, but there were the, uh, the tobacco lawsuits that happened uh, around that time. And the tobacco industry came up with a really shrewd but uh, very clever <laughs> uh, legal argument. And they basically said that we totally agree that tobacco is addictive, but so is uh, skiing, so is stamp collection, so is any one of these number of habits that people have. And if you want to call them all addictions, then that's fine with us. At which point the, the medical community really retracted and said that, no, when we're talking about addiction, we're talking about uh, nicotine and alcohol and heroin and cocaine and the basic big blocks of addiction. And uh, the whole idea of uh, addressing the behavioral addictions, the non-substance addictions, kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, it really threw us back uh, 20 years, and only in this decade we have seen a renewed interest in the behavioral addictions and the three major ones, the ones that we're uh, dealing with the most these days, are um, gambling, sex, and the, the Internet. Gambling, sex, and the Internet are the three major behavioral addictions. Right. So, so what are the essential features of an impulse control disorder? What ties these three together? We, we conceptualize the impulse control disorder as a failure to resist an impulse, drive, or temptation to perform an act that is harmful to the person or others. You can uh, even hear the, uh, the definition of mental illness according to the DSM in this uh, definition. Uh, remember that the DSM keeps on saying that uh, we call mental illness only something that will potentially harm either the person herself or himself or the, the people around them. So it is part of the definition of the essential feature of, of an impulse control disorder, the failure to resist impulse drive or temptation to perform an act that is harmful to the person or others. How does the person feel before the act? For several reasons, uh, one of them being uh, uh, a neurobiological one, we conceptualize the impulse control disorder as having three stages, if you like. What happens before the act, what happens during the act, and what happens after the act. So let's take each one at a time. 
speaking about before the act, the person experiences uh, an increased tension or arousal. You scan the environment and then you find something that is particularly exciting to you and you're drawn to this, to this one thing. And you can imagine right away that uh, norepinephrine would probably be the, the neurotransmitter most closely associated with this stage of the, uh, of the act, what happens before the act. For, for a gambler, this might be, what, walking the casino in Las Vegas and trying to figure out your game? Or does, it, does this happen even before you get to the casino? It depends on what you see before the casino. If you have start making the associations that, uh, let's say, a vacation is coming around uh, the corner and you always go to Las Vegas to gamble uh, on your vacations, then you can even start having this kind of, of excitement weeks before the, uh, the actual event. And we do associate this, of course, with the triggers, which makes the, this particular uh, impulse control disorder gambling quite similar to the, uh, to the substance use disorders. Now, what about at the time of the act? At the time of the act, we conceptualize the individual experiencing pleasure, gratification, or relief. This is when most likely the dopamine uh, system gets uh, overactive and gives uh, the person this uh, pleasure and reward. Again, the centers that, we, that immediately come to mind are the ventral tegmental area, the nucleus accumbens, the prefrontal lobes, the classic pleasure-reward pathways of the brain mediated primarily by dopamine. Okay. So again, very parallel to the substance abuse disorder. Okay. So then at following the act, what happens? And then the third part, which is probably the most confusing one, is uh, the part where the individual experiences a sense of relief from the urge with or without regret, self-reproach or guilt, meaning that the patient may actually feel really, really bad about what happened or be quite cool about the impulsive act. Now, this part, the relief from the, from the urge, may have to do with the serotonin system. We now know that the people who suffer from impulse control disorders have decreased levels of serotonin in their uh, central nervous system, and this may have to do with uh, this uh, sensation after the act, uh, the relief from, from the urge that made you um, commit the act. I think many of us get confused about uh, what is impulsivity versus compulsivity. What's impulsive? What's compulsive? Can you help us clarify that? Dr. Eric Hollander of uh, Mount Sinai has done a lot of work on this, and actually he has uh, graphed all these uh, disorders along a continuum of impulsivity uh, and compulsivity. On one end of the spectrum is the most pure impulsive uh, disorder that we know, probably antisocial personality disorder, and on the other end of the spectrum is uh, uh, pure compulsivity. The most typical one would probably be obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now, let's think about this. Both an impulsive act and a compulsive act end up at the same final point. You do something crazy, something that you shouldn't be doing. That's uh, the, the final outcome. But the pathway to get from where you are now to the commitment of the act is very, very different if you go through the pathway of impulsivity than if you go through the pathway of compulsivity. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is addiction expert and Betty Ford scholar, Dr. Petros Livones. So back to this impulsivity versus compulsivity, um, isn't the goal here to reduce anxiety in both of these issues? It's a little different between the two extremes. And as you very well said, most of the impulse control disorders fall somewhere in between these two extremes. But it is still 
interesting and, and helpful to conceptualize the two ends of the spectrum. In a purely impo- impulsive act, what happens is that you have no anxiety. You're cool as a cucumber. You just go through life, totally cool, and then you see something that is very, very attractive to you. And without even thinking about it, you have a failure, essentially, of the inhibitory parts of the frontal lobes to tell you, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not something that you should be doing right now. And so you go and grab it. All of us at any point have a lot of uh, quite kinky thoughts that uh, run through our heads, but thank God we have this uh, inhibitory layer that uh, kind of uh, reduces the, the chances that we will actually commit this, uh, this act. That is what is deficient in somebody with a pure impulsive disorder, and therefore you just go out and you, you, you commit the act. Mm-hmm. So it sounds almost uh, a developmental stage that if you think of toddlers, they're driven by impulsivity, right? You can very well think about it this way. You absolutely can think of it that way. And there's some neurobiological evidence to suggest that uh, brain imaging studies have shown on frontolimbic circuits that they are involved in, uh, in gambling, for example. So what other disorders are towards the impulsive end? Again, antisocial personality disorder is at the extreme end, but, but what's getting close to that? Well, we think that self-injurious behaviors, uh, sexual compulsions, uh, and even pathological gambling seem to be going more towards the impulsive end of, of the spectrum. How about kleptomania? Kleptomania is, is, is there. Some people think of it as more towards the, the middle part where you would find things like binge eating and compulsive buying, trichotillomania that would be more in the middle of the spectrum. So you've mentioned a bit about the neurotransmitters that are uh, thought to be involved here. Can we talk a bit more about that? So the first stage again? Three major neurotransmitters involved in the impulse control disorders. Norepinephrine, and we feel that increased levels of norepinephrine may result in this first stage of uh, the impulsive act, the, the before the act that we talked about. The dopamine system is the second neurotransmitter, and again, increased dopamine levels may be involved in the reward and reinforcement mechanisms of the second stage of the act, which is the, um, during the, 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 comp- the, the impulsive act. And then the third neurotransmitter system, which is probably the most confusing one, is the serotonin system. And that's the system where when it's decreased, it actually gives you more of a chance of an impulse control disorder. That's uh, where uh, the serotonin system has been linked with behavioral disinhibition and, of course, uh, relief of anxiety. Right. So, of course, when we start talking about neurotransmitters, that leads us to the question of treatment. Have these different neurotransmitter systems been studied from a treatment perspective? Yes. And the candidates, the pharmacological candidates that we have, really map against these neurotransmitter systems. For example, naltrexone, which is an opioid antagonist, and as we know, the opioid system is very, very, very closely linked to the dopamine system, is one of the candidates for uh, treatment of pathological gambling. How about the SSRIs? Now, the SSRIs have also been studied, and paroxetine is the one that has probably been studying the best, and they have shown some promise as well for the treatment of uh, pathological gambling. However, we did see some patients who had uh, a worsening of the pathological gambling with the SSRIs. And uh, for these patients, maybe a mood stabilizer possibly would be a better idea. Now, this is something, if I can digress here for, for, a, for a second, that we have also seen in alcohol dependence, in the treatment of alcohol dependence. When we tried the SSRIs for alcohol dependence, I'm talking now completely 
single diagnosis, not a dually diagnosed patient, uh, not dually diagnosed patients, so simply alcohol dependence. And uh, we treated the patients with, uh, with SSRIs. Uh, we didn't really find very much difference. People didn't get better. People didn't get worse. However, when we divided the sample, when we characterized differently the early onset alcoholics with the late onset alcoholics, we found that the SSRIs actually improved the condition for the late onset alcoholics, but they worsened the condition for the early onset alcoholics. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Petros Livones. We have been discussing the impulse control disorders. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.